We're about to kick off an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio, brought to you by the fine folks over at, where else? Geekinthecity.com. If you enjoy this show, and I think you do, the best way to help us out is just spread the word. Uh, tell everybody that you enjoy listening to Geek in the City Radio on whatever social media platform you use, as well as giving us a five-star review on sites like iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or iHeartRadio. Those reviews go much farther than you would ever imagine in helping us climb the metrics, which uh, just gets us more listeners, which just makes us a bigger and more nerdier family for everyone to enjoy, which we're going to do right now with an all-new issue of Geek in the City Radio. Geek in the City of Radio. I am one of your hosts, Aaron Duran. I'm one of your other hosts, Bean Reedy. I am your other other host, Cable Hashitani. What's shaking, friends? Like I had this sudden moment of panic. I'm like, oh my god, we're about to hit another hundred number. We should have planned something. Well, we still nope. got some time. Nope. <laughs> Not a thing. You know who can help us plan? Our special guest this week. Joining us are. Hey, I'm Greg. <laughs> and I'm Ida. And they're here for building character. Great to be back. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, after not being back in April, because uh, for two weeks straight, I told my co-host, I am totally going to hit them up and see when they're ready. And then never did. Hey, better late <laughs> than never. I just want to yeah. clarify that that second week, we thought you had. I, I swear up and down, you even said you did. Here's the thing. <laughs> I thought I had. Uh, April was, as they say, a month. It was a bit extra. More extra than usual. Uh, it was more human than human. You, you, you have many other fine qualities, so it's fine. I do. Uh, organizations that are not one of them, which is why everyone needs a bean in their life. And pay her. Yes, well, they're in where we have the problem. <laughs> it's not for a lack of desire. <laughs> nope. I, I, I would pay all of my friends to do stuff if I could, but maybe in the future I'll be able to. But that's for another show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's for another story. Yeah, now I gotta come up with something useful to you so I can get in on that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think how, anyone how do you feel in this about screen tiny decorative skulls. Fantastic. Of right. my enemies. <laughs> sure. They can be of your enemies. Do I have to provide them? Or will there be a team that will collect the skulls of my enemies and then you just decorate them? I think well, you'd have that... to provide them. 
Well, I mean, look, look. There is a, a discount if you provide them yourself, mm. but uh, yeah, there's a there's a premium there. Yeah. If I am providing them myself, do I also have to remove all fleshy bits so it's just the skull? I can take care of that, no problem. I have to say, okay. we know people who can yeah. do that. <laughs> I think- I'm just trying to figure out what is the best way to get said skulls to Ida so that she can <laughs> make them <pretty>. uh, Predators. <laughs> I should employ I know, predators? Look, I know that, that race actually has a name, but I don't remember it. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I, no, I know who that you're talking be, about. That might be the best way, but it might not be the safest. I it's mean, true. considering yeah. if you come to them with that, they'll probably just take your head as well. No, not if you don't have a gun, because there's no sport in it. <laughs> it didn't mm. kill you, Greg, because you weren't armed. No, I think the ROI on that one needs needs a little bit more work. I, I think you are correct. I'm just saying. But if you want skulls, predators are how you go. But they also, they don't like to give their skulls up once they happen, do they? No. No, I you mean, have to have skull. No, and we can't all just have a pocket Danny Glover to take them out. Oh man, that would be great. Yeah. Can you tell I watched Predator 2 a couple nights ago? <laughs> no. By the way, it's a bad movie. It's not good. Um, oh, Bex uh, suggests that there can be a surcharge for making it look like an accident. Mm. Well, now I feel like we're trailing, we're slowly walking into actionable territory where if someone we know ends up dying, we're going to get a, so we hear you talking about killing people for their skulls last week. Oh, come on. <laughs> you can't prove anything. I, I am not going to pretend for a moment that I do not ha- already have a thick FBI file. <laughs> oh, I know I have one. I know Denise does because she's military, so she has one by default. Yeah, but there's nothing good in it. <laughs> I bet you my, Cable and I, I bet you we have the thickest ones. My ex-wife's father, my father-in-law, worked for the DOD as a civilian civil servant mm. and literally could not tell us what he did. Um, yeah. It was in communications. <laughs> oh, just like, like, how, could you just make something up? <laughs> just like how a friend that we all know was a cultural attache. Yes. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes. And they were not yes. at all smuggled out of Russia while there was a coup happening. Nope. Are you supposed to talk about that? Well, they do. Granted, after half a bottle of scotch, so maybe. Yeah, I'm talking about here now on the internet. Uh, We brought it up before. As Norm points out, this is all for satirical purposes. That's yes. right. Thank you, Norm. That could be a disclaimer at the beginning of any yeah, episode. That, we you do. know, honestly. By the way, Sack just said, you running, want to skull and get your skull in 20 minutes. Ticker uh, up at the top. Yeah. I uh, have at least two. Not my skulls, as in not this one, within reach right now. <laughs> I, don't have, I don't have real ones. I have fake skulls. Like, I don't even have to get up for this one. It's a remnants of mm. little raccoon. Nice. Yes, I only have fake skulls. Not you, Cable. Manuel That's only super has convincing. 
Mm, Manuel doesn't have skulls. Manuel ha- literally has skeletons in the. Say the whole body. Manuel has the whole show. <laughs> I'm so excited. So the Baron sent me a message the other day. He found a prop of mine that I used to use. He found Ramon, the feather duster hand. Does this say was it the hand? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Nice. Ramon, Manuel's Ramon. helping hand. <laughs> Every yes. time you said Ramon in the museum, my brain always went to Ramon Vega, my brother, who is Zorro the Gay Blade. Yes, that's kind of where I was going. One of the most. most wonderfully offensive and underrated movies ever. Mm-hmm. I actually rewatched that thinking like, all right, in 2020, this movie's not going to hold up. First off, it so does. <laughs> and second off, I realized, oh, all the gay jokes are actually at the expense of the straight people who don't understand gay people. They're not actually making fun of Ramon Vega. They think they are. But they're not. But they're not. And in the end, he ends up being the hero. (laughs) I feel as though, like, I saw that when I was a kid. And, like, I didn't understand at the time. But I, I didn't at any way shape or form feel like anyone was making fun of him he was the one no he froze up he was the one what come back you you froze right as you said he was the one he was the one that was making fun of everyone else and got away with it Mm -hmm. so oh oh totally 100 percent. and then he's very good with a whip i don't think i've ever seen this it's good. It's very um. It's, it's very, very loud. 80s. It's mm-hmm. very uh, mm-hmm. yeah. I want to say it's late seventies, but yeah, eighties. Um, was was it before or after Love at First Bite? Oh, before I think. Was it? I think so. Yeah. It's um, a good thing I have IMDb already pulled up, so I can look this mm-hmm. up. Oh, eighty one. So it was before oh, wow. Love at First Bite. Um. That, that was kind of the golden era of George Hamilton, I think. For a golden George Hamilton. Yes, a very just, just the brownest white man you ever saw. <laughs> that dude lived under a UV lab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I just, like, it took everything that, it is a much smarter script than people get it. Even the making fun of, like, their accents. But they only make fun of the Spaniards in Mexico, they never make fun of the Mexicans in Mexico. They never make fun of the Mexicans' accent. Interesting. So they they only mock like Don Diego's accent, who is a Spaniard, because there's that part where he goes to Charlotte Taylor Wilson, and he's like, "And look at you!" He's like, "And you do not smell like the ships in the fields." She's like, "The what? The ships in the fields?" It's like, "What? What ships in the fields?" You have never heard of the chips in the fields? You know, the little bababas? Oh, you mean sheep, Jess? That is what I said. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> and then he gets mad at her for coming down here. He gets mad at this, like, American woman for coming down to Mexico and telling the people that have accents that they have they don't have accents when they shouldn't have accents. It's a weird movie. Yeah, it sounds pretty weird. I mean, it sounds funny, but definitely. I'm sorry, and then we'll get back to the show. The other great part of that is all of the all of the governors of the various like states of what was California when Spain 
owned it. So it's, remember, they all show up dressed as Zorro. <laughs> and they're all, here I am. <laughs> you know, and they're like, who are you? I am Luis Obispo from Bakersfield. <laughs> and that joke really only sticks the landing if you're from California or the West Coast. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, never been on Blu-ray. I don't think it's even been on DVD before. Really? How do they they expect people to watch it? I feel like that is an oversight that the Shout Factory could probably. Oh my God. You know, uh, everybody start sending emails now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There is someone on T Public that understands uh, my humor. There's a shirt that just has Zorro that says, Here I am. (laughs) Um, Oof. I, right, I saw guys. a little uh, breakdown recently of um, a movie that I never, I never, I only watched it on TV, and I remember it was so bizarre and like weird. I must have been like eight or nine when I saw it, and uh, it's, it's called Nothing But Trouble. And oh yeah, because um, and and uh, yeah, Nothing But Trouble was Dan Aykroyd's only directorial, you know. Uh, picture and he he played played one of the main characters in it as well uh, as the as the antagonist and anyway um yeah that's that's one that only got like a single dvd that like has no special features no you know uh it it suffered from getting kind of chopped up in the in the editing room and also having a terrible like uh uh marketing rollout for like what it was in fact it was supposed to be called Balkanvania uh, is this like a weird horror movie right it's it's a weird horror comedy but it was like not the the horror elements kind of turned off the people that came thinking they were going to see a comedy and right. the comedic elements turned off the people that were coming expecting a slasher horror uh, so, right 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 I feel as though that I saw this in the theater when it came out and have completely blanked it from my memory. Okay. Um, got John Candy playing uh, a, a police officer in this town and Chevy Chase is in it. And it's and Demi Moore and Demi Moore. And they, they get pulled over for a traffic violation and it turns into this like whole like horror show Hills have eyes kind of, uh, yeah. nightmare family scenario and, and yet John still Candy has also yeah. plays his own twin sister in it mm-hmm. who's like this evil um mute woman uh tupac shakur is in it yes wait uh, what and, uh, wait hold on and, <laughs> yeah tupac shakur is is in it uh in fact the entire um um uh oh what are they called uh the the group. Digital underground, uh, digital. Yeah, they 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 did a they did a they did, had a cameo in it and oh that's amazing and created a, a, a created a song and they they camp the whole yeah they all they camp did a cameo in it. It's weird. It's so weird. I've actually and, never seen this movie. I've only seen oh my box art. Yeah. Well, me neither. I never saw it, and now I'm going to have to watch it. I feel like Eakin City Radio should have a commentary of, I never saw that. <laughs> <laughs> we did that. We called it Trekication. 
No, that was just for you, Denise. It can't always be just about you. Why not? Because that's my job. (laughs) Yeah, there's a part of me that, that thinks that they were also trying to do a little um, Rocky Horror Picture Show with this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah, me. Yeah, there's, there's playing up the kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I there's, don't think there's anybody a... knew what they wanted to do with this. Jeez. Taylor Negron is in it too. I mean, I think. See I mean, that. I feel like I feel like Dan Aykroyd knew what he wanted to do, but like the studio execs were like, "You can't do that." do this instead yeah. uh, you're, you're supposed to make a funny comedy you've got all the comedy people you've got john candy like, you've got but Jeremy like Chase. deep down all dan Eckert ever wants to do is tell like horror stories because his family is deep in paranormal and occult stuff mm-hmm. oh his whole like, family oh his whole family like his he actually can trace back some of his family to being like members of the madame levatsky society you know before they became nazis that's when his family left because, you know, he's Jewish and that would have not have been a good mix-up. Um, no, he's actually given interviews where he thinks that Ghostbusters is the most important film he's ever made. Not because it's funny and fantastic, but because it is the training wheels to get people prepared for the supernatural world should it come crashing down. That's amazing. Yeah, no, he's way into it. And nothing but... And nothing but trouble. Another, just this is a side, side, a side thing, but something else that stuck with me was uh, there was a uh, terrifying, um, uh, and I think this is might be why I don't trust roller coasters. But there was a terrifying roller coaster in the junkyard of that movie uh, called Mister Bone Stripper that ah! uh, that ended up uh, that's that's where that's where. Uh, uh, you know that that was that was the justice system. You'd take a ride on Mr. Bone Stripper, and it would uh, completely uh, flay you, and 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 there'd be nothing but a bunch of bones that came out at the other end. So it did exactly what it said on the tin. It did exactly yeah. what it said. <clears throat> oh, I love Fair its original. I love its original title of Vankelvania. Mm-hmm. Which is a lot like nothing but trouble is. Uh, uh, throwaway line that Demi Moore uses and it just it doesn't land at all uh, Vulcanvania at least is like what is that place and like some right. of the some of the art concept art was like crazy out there and really fun and like had stuff but then the actual like if you look at the official like poster it's just like person's head person's head person's head creepy a uh, creepy house at the bottom and it's like this tells me nothing mm. yeah. right hmm. anyway. interesting so on the show today when we're not rambling on and on about uh, <laughs> early 80s and 90s movies that no one fucking saw <laughs> um, we are going to jump in and topic, talk Aaron. Come on. <laughs> I know this hey, that's my bread the, and butter, this man. This is what the viewers how you, want. How do you think Geek in the City started? It started with me emailing the Rick Emerson show about weird-ass facts about the Transformers. I'm like, you actually got this wrong. I, I did want to point out, but I didn't want to interrupt earlier. Uh, you said, oh, no, we're gonna, I'm going to do one more thing, and then we'll get back to the show. I wanted to just blurt out, the show. This is, this is what we do. That is true. We're doing it now. 
Mm-hmm. We should just change the name of the show to, oh, one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a good show name. Yeah. I mean, you know, it could be a segment for sure. It could be a segment that pops up, at, and then like, at, and that One you know, thing. that's how you could, that's how that, that that's how you could, uh, yeah, you know, make a tangent into a segment, and then at, at the end, be like, all right, and that concludes. Just one more thing. Now back to our, back to our main topic. Oh, the yeah. show's over. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a good stick, but I don't know if we could keep it up. No, that's for the network when we form our own network one day. Mm. That's it. We call the network. Oh, one more thing. <laughs> is it a 24-hour network? Uh, yeah, I mean, some of it is just me at 2 a.m., you know, on, like, my fifth fucking whiskey watching Star Trek V and trying to convince everyone why it's the much better Star Trek movie than anyone thinks it is. I'm getting some strong UHF vibes coming from this. <laughs> That reminds you know bad. Me, I guess there's this new, uh, this new, uh, up and coming social media platform, uh, and it's like Twitter but for audio. Oh, Clubhouse? No, no, no. It's called like Ruckus or Racket. It's called Racket. Racket. Yeah, like making a racket. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, better. I better sign up and claim that URL. Mm. That's right. Uh, well, I think we, it's like my invitation only right now. God damn it. Like that creepy ass uh, dating app for just um, famous people. Oh, yeah. The, 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 the one where Matthew Perry hits on, you know, 18 year olds. Yeah. And, and Ben Affleck sends Instagram messages to influencers being like, it was me. It was actually me. Why didn't you? Why didn't you match me? Yeah, that's weird. By the way, if you type in Racket Social Network, you get a social network uh, just for people that are really into tennis. So yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to find even. It's uh, I think you have to do like Racket One Hundred. Is the thing. Ooh, you know I don't want to be part of something that would only want John McEnroe uh, opposed to us. It's it's not that. It, that that's not. So, <laughs> we're going to talk about the Bad Batch, and then Greg and Eda are going to do building character, and they're going to be talking about the Artificer. That's right. Yeah. One of the most difficult classes to play, especially if you're a brand new player. Which I'm going bad because we have a friend. First time she played D anD D, she was like, "I want to be an Artificer." Shit. <laughs> yeah. How'd that work out? Uh, not well, which is funny, though, is the second character she picked was, I want to be a monk. <laughs> be a barbarian. If you want to punch shit, can be a fighter, a barbarian. Like, don't. Okay. Uh, all right. All right. Uh, but yeah, the Bad Batch. Should we jump into it? Yeah. Do it. I, I don't think I was, I didn't realize it when we watched it last Tuesday or when it aired last Tuesday that we were going to go ahead and get, it was moving all the way to Friday it's regular slot so it's nice that we've got two episodes to talk yeah, about yeah i tried yeah, to one of us may have forgotten to do that today not realizing that the second episode was already available yeah and i didn't know either i actually was just logging on like to my ps4 and i you know i was going to watch something on like netflix or whatever but the ps4 gives you all the different channels mm. and this was like 
either Sunday or Monday morning, and it was like episode two of the Bad Batch. I'm like, what? And then I looked it up and was like, oh, they've changed their. So that was like the premiere day, and then they went, here's our regular scheduled time. Yep. So basically, we got two in the first week, just not on the same day. Yeah. Correct. Because they did the... not do a good job of telling us that. No. I think they put the information out there. It was more important for them to make sure that they hit um, May the fourth. May the fourth. Um, mm-hmm. That makes sense, right? For whatever right. it's worth, we can go ahead and talk about both episodes if you guys, if everyone else has seen them, because I've already been spoiled on things that I am assuming are revealed in the second episode, and I saw it coming anyway. Right. We could talk about the second episode because my opinion is that not a lot happened in terms of forwarding the plot. The second episode for me. Sort of. Character growth, but not like, oh my god. So. Sort of. Sort of, yeah. All right, so. uh, I'm fine to do both, is what I'm saying. So yeah, well, let's just jump into it then. The Bad Batch is the spin-off of the Clone Wars, basically, for those who somehow don't know and listen to this show. uh, About the, um, they're not called the Bad Batch, though, in universe, right? No, they're special unit, uh, uh, unit number 99. Unit 99, that's what I thought. Um, they are clones that are they're they are technically considered defective because they do they have their own personalities. Uh, but uh, I don't think I was aware of this before. I guess that some of them are defective because they were trying out modifications. Basically, they right. the actual name for them is deviations. Hmm. They are deviations from the original clone format because they are designed to. Um, Enhance specific um, traits. Like dog breeding. Mm -hmm. That's why Wrecker is particularly strong, why Hunter is particularly good at tracking, uh, and why Tech is particularly (laughs) smart. And so the one exception to that. And why Crosshair is good with shooting, but we'll get into that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Uh, The exception is Echo. He is from the original Clone Wars. Uh, he was one of like the main, wasn't he like the leader for a while? He of was that unit. He was part of a unit. Was um, he part of the Fives? He was part of Fives unit. Yes. Fives. Yeah. Oh. And at one point, he uh, goes missing and is Fives. considered dead. And then, spoilers, much later in the series, uh, they find him and they find out that he's been like tortured and pested on by. Um, the soon-to-be empire. Yeah. Sort of. I mean, he's tested on by the the separatist forces, but by a specific... um, What is the race? I forget. They're the... That's why I was like... Were they part of the the Techno techno Alliance? Yeah. Thank you. Um, Which was like mentioned once in Attack of the Clones, and then they mm-hmm. never brought back again. And then they they brought them up on the uh, the Taratoski. Oh Clone yeah, Wars. yeah. In, in my um, weird headcanon, I always assumed that Vader's like suit that keeps him alive mm-hmm. was taken from Techno Alliance technology because it looks really like that whole chest thing looks really mm-hmm. similar. Yeah. And I, I think that was Techno the direction Union. they were going. Techno, Techno Union. Union. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah. We're just, we're echoing one another today, Aaron. That's kind of funny. Um, But yeah, uh, Echo kind of is, looks more like Lobot from Empire. 
Right. With his own like droid interface. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is why he ended up with the bad batches. He was considered now a deviation from the mm-hmm. standard units. And therefore he fit in better with uh, squad 99. Yeah. yeah. And I think at first he just thought his, his days as a, a clone trooper were essentially over. Mm-hmm. Or, or mm-hmm. maybe it was his his friends who had found him again. We're like, well, it sucks that this is like this part of your life is over now. And he's like, no, nah, I'm still gonna go hang out with these guys over here. Fit in just fine. Yeah, I'm glad it was Cody and Rex that found him. Mm-hmm. Um, the, they were ahead. kind of the the daddy and big brother of all of the clones, as far yeah. as the Clone Wars is concerned. Right. Yeah. So. The Bad Batch, I I, I kind of knew the Bad Batch was going to deal with Order 66. I didn't think they were basically going to fucking open with Order 66. Drop you in in nope. media res. Well, I, I mean, also... I guess technically it's a few minutes before it gets called. But yeah, basically. I also didn't expect to have that much of an emotional reaction to watching Order 66 again. Um, it's hard. Especially because in in the Bad Batch, here comes some spoilers. We have always known how how Caleb no longer had uh, his master, but we've never seen it. And people who know the animated parts of Star Wars have come to love Caleb and who Caleb became. Um, so to watch Caleb lose his master, and it was perfectly shot, perfectly written for the best emotional punch. Um. Yeah, Order sixty six is still rough to watch for me in any incarnation. So, I was less moved by Order sixty six when I first watched Revenge of the Sith in the theaters. And... So, hmm. you mentioned that the other day when, when the day that I watched the first episode, we were talking about it. Um, and I think it's less about like your age then versus now. Um than it is about the quality of the storytelling. Because I I feel the same way. I'm like, I don't remember like being, caring this much about Order 66 when I saw it happen on screen the first time. Uh, I I appreciate that that, that's uh, your thoughts and and, uh, that you're you're bringing me into that. That is 100% not why. I was very angry with Revenge of the Sith. Um, was very angry with the Star Wars, uh, the entirety of the Star Wars universe at that point. Um, like, Revenge of the Sith left me with the feeling of like, oh, fuck, Palpatine was right, and I don't like that at all. <laughs> because at that point, we had been shown that, yes, the Jedi were corrupt. Yes, the Jedi were, had fallen far away from their their mission. And seeing that side of that then made it really hard for me to connect emotionally with watching the Jedi die. It's like, Oh fuck. As far as I, I understand they all had it coming. Mm. Um, and that was also kind of a lot of my worldview at the time. Um, and Lucas didn't do the best job in writing, but he kind of hinted that individual mm-hmm. Jedi were good. It was a leadership that allowed themselves to be manipulated and clouded and they fell. Mm-hmm. My, my moment, and then we'll get back to uh, <laughs> um For me, it was Order 66 was rough because on a concept, I like the Jedi. 
they are these these beacons of of hope and goodness that we can uh, we can you know uh, rise up to. The thing that actually got me in Sith more than anything else was watching after the Yoda and Palpatine fight where Yoda essentially loses and he's crawling through air ducts to escape. And the animators animated his look of like, I have spent 800 years trying to make the galaxy a better place and I have utterly failed. Like there's a look on the animators gave a look on Yoda's face where he goes, and I and like, however, year old me, whenever Sith came out, it just devastated me. And I knew it was coming because you know it's coming because Yoda, you know, goes on to Dagobah. You know he doesn't win this movie. Mm-hmm. But something about seeing Yoda acknowledge that he has utterly failed in his desire for peace was was really heavy on me. And I think as the years progressed, I projected all of that onto Order sixty six. Which is kind of what happened. Like, Yoda got blindsided. Revenge of the Sith came out in 2005. Yeah, so it's what? So I was 30. Jesus. If I remember correctly, that's the first movie I went to go see after I came back from being overseas. What an uplifting film to watch after a war. (laughs) And that was like, we were in the middle of the Bush administration. At that time, mm-hmm. so that heavily influenced things. It definitely influenced Lucas. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like, I think that was his point. Yeah, they're like, "Are you making a political statement with you know only a Sith deals and absolutes and blah blah blah?" And he's like, oh, "You can read it into it how you want. Um, there is good and there is evil, and the Sith represent oppression, fascism, and order at all costs." Yes, but what do you mean? He's like, uh, if I got to explain it more, you're never going to get Star Wars. <laughs> For all his faults, Lucas is clearly on the side of good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's go back to the bad batch. <laughs> One more thing. That no, was no. how the, the whole thing started, and it I think it set the tone for the entire episode. Mm-hmm. And we'll see if it set the tone for the entire series of the Bad Batch. Like it's, this is not going to be the Clone Wars. This is going to be the beginning of fascism in the Star Wars universe. This is and how oh. they navigate it. Yeah, this is not. I feel like this is not going to be because we've already kind of seen how the average person or the average, yeah. The average person deals with a fascist dictatorial government taking over that which you love. I feel like the Bad Batch, and I, knowing that Dave Filoni is running us, this tracks. The Bad Batch will be Dave Filoni asking the question, what happens when soldiers who are loyal to what they've been told is what they're fighting for is taken away? Do they stay loyal to the message or do they stay loyal to those who give the system? The system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's going to be fascinating. And that's a really, to me, that's a really interesting question to pose right now. Obviously, in 2005, I don't think anyone would have really, well, not too many people would have asked that question. But 
right now, um, a lot of, I, I, you know, like not just myself, but a lot of veterans that I know or veterans that I'm like tangentially associated with, you know, have like very similar negative opinions about the war that we were in the middle of in the early 2000s. And mm-hmm. um, I, I, I guess in some ways I'm like relieved and sometimes somewhat a bit surprised by how many people are like, yeah, that was, that was bullshit and we never should have been here. And, and the military is just a fucking machine that's not really helping anybody. Um, I see a lot of that coming into play here. I, I think that's part of the story that they want to tell with this is that uh, when you have no country left to fight for, what do you fight for? Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's going to be neat to find, see the Bad Batch learn that fighting for themselves is important and then fighting for everyone else is going to be important. And I, I really think they're going to do that through the, um, the viewpoint of Omega, who is the other character that they introduced in the episode. Yeah. I'm excited to see what they're going to do with her in terms of story arc. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw an article that was mentioning like, okay, well, we already know that there is no Omega in chapters four or five and six or beyond. So who is this character? Where did they come from? And what happens to her? I, I think that people need to stop e- using that as a metric of, oh, well, we, we're never going to see these characters again. We didn't see Ahsoka Tano in 4, 5, and 6, and she showed up in The Mandalorian. Yeah, right. that's good. Well, and also, like, we don't see fucking anyone from Rogue One. Doesn't stop her being an important part of Star Wars. Correct. Right. Actually so, makes it maybe more powerful, honestly. I do want to say that... Uh, 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 no, I'll get into that when we get there. Sorry. So, some of you guys are talking about Omega. Uh, we yeah. just started to really. I'm. I am fascinated by that character. In that, also, Omega is the first female clone we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and- which is, which is why she fits in with them. She's also a deviation. But right. I think, but another intentionally created one. Mm-hmm. Um. I, I don't know why I can't shake the idea that Omega is going to be force sensitive. And I don't know why. Because they're foreshadowing that. I think they are. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I agree wholeheartedly with uh, Merrick's assessment at the end of the episode when, you know, watching Omega pick up the blaster fire for the first time, watching tech pilot the ship. She's like, Oh, her, her uh, specialty is mimetic. Whatever she sees, she can do. Mm. Which could be so attributed to the Force a little bit. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So mm-hmm. she's going to learn everything that mm-hmm. the current crew of the Bad Batch knows. <laughs> yeah. Which means when they introduce her in live action in the in the book of Boba Fett <laughs> as an adult, yeah, she's going to be a scary badass. Yes. <laughs> and may have some anger issues because we have not seen any hint that anyone from the Bad Batch survives beyond sure. um, episode four. Sure. Um, we but know that, Rex does because he's in fucking Jedi and then post Jedi, right. but other than that, he's the only he's the only clone that made it that far. 
but that that's my like that's my fan theory is that it's like oh you created a character that you can turn into another live action character and i think it's going to she'll show up in boba fett because of the inclusion of fennec shan in the bad batch Mm. Mm -hmm. that way there's that tie it's like oh you bring her in because well she was on you know fennec shan was on the bad batch yeah those are my things but yeah, I, I I appreciate how the opening and it was essentially it was an opening movie. It was an hour long. The first episode of the Bad Batch didn't mm-hmm. it didn't drag it out. It like it just like it took them twenty minutes for them to realize like we don't want to be part of whatever this republic has become, this empire. We want nothing. Mm-hmm. We want nothing to do with it. Um except for Crosshair. And it was it was rough to watch knowing, especially if you follow the Clone Wars and you've seen the Bad Batch before, you know, Crosshair was always the more edgy one, but they were the Bad Batch. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, you know, what was it, Unit 99? Mm-hmm. And the moment he said, like, soldiers follow orders, I was like, oh, this is not going to. <clears throat> and he's. Being a sniper, he's arguably one of the most dangerous elements of Bad Batch. Uh-huh. You know, he can take out Wrecker from a mile away if he need, if he has to, if he's given the opportunity. He can take out any of them. You know, the sniper is arguably the most dangerous part of that group in the initial salvo. Which is why that makes the uh, having him switch sides. N- really adds the drama to the story because if we thought that the Empire was going to be chasing the Bad Batch, that's not much of a threat because we've seen how inept the Empire becomes. Yeah. And right now they're figuring their shit out. Yeah, yeah and it's and it's actually more arguable that the Empire, at least in terms of their on-the-ground troops, get worse. Mm-hmm. And the Bad Batch can just clean up a fucking garrison of Stormtroopers, but they're not facing the Empire. They're, they're facing, facing their they're facing they're on their own with like Tarkin's guidance. Mm-hmm. Never forget the element of Tarkin, who is yeah. fucking dangerous and evil. I mm-hmm. would argue that Tarkin is probably actually more evil than the Emperor. <laughs> the Emperor kind of has a bigger picture. Tarkin just wants order under him. Mm-hmm. Tarkin's scary. Tarkin's incredibly scary. Which I think... Um, Arkin's one of my favorite villains. Oh, he's great. He's so good. So good. Just un, unflinching he is to mm-hmm. his ideal. Yeah. And I appreciate that um, as much as uh, like he was a bad guy in A New Hope, it's been the Clone Wars and Rebels and now the Bad Batch that have really showcased. No, yeah. he's not just a bad guy. He's a fucking bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he, he'll... This is a man that would actually consider shooting a child in the face. Yeah. yeah. But, but only... He gave the order to destroy an entire world like it was nothing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because it was. Yeah. It was nothing to him. Yeah. I, the The gain of doing that meant that 
the next 10 planets fell in line immediately and yeah. you had less work was, to do. I think I brought it before. There's an element in the old West End role-playing game that goes into like the background of Tarkin. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is kind of canon because a lot of that old stuff was taken right from Lucas's notes. And when Tarkin was just a governor, um, he was ordered by, I think it was, I think he was ordered by Palpatine to help put down a protest on Shandrilla, on Mon Mothma's planet. And he's like, all right, I will, I will deal with the protesters. I will listen to their grievances and we will make the, we will make the empire stable. There shall be no, you know, no arguments within the empire. Um, And in this little side column on the old Star Wars role-playing game, he just, so like when they found out Tarkin's in orbit, he's going to come down, he's going to talk to us. They protested more, so they really made their attention. He just landed on all of them. Just dropped a ship on all of the protesters and literally walked out and said, negotiations are over, and then left. And in the book, is told at that moment, he was promoted to Grand Moff. <laughs> so that's Tarkin. <laughs> uh, really quick in the chat, um, listener Scott brought up this interesting idea. Knowing that Filoni is really good at taking elements that don't make sense in a trilogy, like the prequels and now maybe the sequels, Scott suggested that what if Omega is the initial precursor to the to the comedians cloning Palpatine. Mm. They're testing it. Can that we clone, sense. can we clone a force user? Like we've been given this order, we don't know who it's from. Can we integrate midichlorians into a clone? Cuz Filoni doesn't shy away from midichlorians. He's like it's part of the canon, work with it. Yep. It's interesting. Like huh. hmm. yeah, I don't I don't dislike that idea, honestly. I, I think we'll see more as as the show progresses. How many episodes are the season again? Uh, the episode, this, I feel like I originally saw that there's supposed to be sixteen to twenty episodes total. Oh but wow! That might that might be over two seasons. Well, oh wow! Okay, real tell. Okay, two seasons. That's different. Also. Uh, Harkening back to that comment I made earlier about, like, I think the difference in how people feel about Order 66 uh, in these animated series versus, you know, in the movie. Um, and uh, Sack is saying, he's using someone else's comment, but it was basically describing Michael Bay as a sociopath, mm. as a filmmaker. So, like, he knows what emotions look like, but not why they happen. <laughs> and, that that's, and that that's maybe a more appropriate way to describe Lucas. Hmm. Yeah, but Lucas is a good person. I don't. I don't think of well, I think Lucas that, is a sociopath. I think Zach means just the the concept of like, okay, I know what I know what it looks like to put emotion on the screen. I just don't understand on the inside what that is, all of what all of that is, or how it works. I think the thing with Lucas is he's, he's he loves story, he loves character, but he's always going to want to try the newest toy to make it work. And sometimes his desire for story will fall to the wayside of let me play with this new toy. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, yeah. he's made entire movies just to try out new technology. 
you know, Howard the Duck was the first fully animatronic character. The Radio Land Murders was Lucasfilm first ever completely green screen set. Mm-hmm. Um, at Red Tails, which I actually liked and no one really watched, was the first time he actually integrated actors into full CGI planes. Like he did, Red Tails is I think basically all about the Tuskegee Airmen. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He's always made films that advance technology of of storytelling, so that's kind of always been his thing. And that's cool and all, but it doesn't necessarily make you a better storyteller. That's why Lucas is a good idea person, and then someone else should do the story, should do the yeah. movie. You know, but, yeah. and, I, and I think that's like the the crux of that statement is like, okay, yeah, Lucas uh, George Lucas can make a cool film or like you know like make a blockbuster, but is he really telling? that story like is he putting that idea into the best formats and expressions possible um yes because he's telling the story he wants to tell this is i I like we uh, may not like it but he's telling the story he wants to tell and it's his stuff he's he's an independent filmmaker these are his toys well they were fine yeah to be fair it's his story (laughs) it's his story it's his concepts you know it it I guess it it should be whatever he thinks it should be. But that doesn't mean someone can't take the same idea and do a better job of it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, that's that's something I appreciated about uh like The Mandalorian is, you know, it had what four different directors? Is that right? Five? I can't remember. But so the round that, table yeah. I believe was six. Yeah. Six. Okay, yeah. John Favreau, um Deborah Chow, Dave Filoni. Uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, Taika Waititi. Fuck. What is uh, I? Oh, man. I always forget the the other guy's name. Damn it. Well, Robert Rodriguez was in season two. Yes. No, that's not who I'm talking about. Uh, and, uh... But all I'm saying is that uh, I really appreciate that uh, for that series, there was this diverse pool of of directors mm-hmm. that were taking his material his ideas and channeling them in through through their lens lenses mm-hmm. and uh i think it made for a stronger overall um and and a really really cohesive you know um story i liked that uh rick famuyiwa that's Thank the, you. Thank you. Um, and they talk about that too in the gallery. That not while each of them have their own directorial credit on the episodes, none of them directed in a vacuum. Like mm-hmm. all six of them were on set all the time with one another. And mm-hmm. if you were directing this episode, you still got all of the input from the other five at all times. And they all talked about the fact it's like, we have never worked on a project that's anything even remotely like this. Nobody works yeah. like this in Hollywood. This is amazing. Okay, that's, that's the big difference between, between the Mandalorian's system and how it's done on any other classically directed television show where, yeah, like every week they have a different director but right. they're not they're not cohesive they're not a unit they're just like it's my turn and i have nothing to do with anybody else yeah right i feel like we can go on and on about this <laughs> it's <laughs> we true should probably save some of it for next time 
<laughs> well, I feel like actually the first two episodes have been very much okay. The groundwork has been set. Now the story can begin. Mm-hmm. So that that might be a good place to to transition. Yeah. Okay. This will be a perfect spot to take a break and thank our sponsors. First up, Bridge City Comics. They are one of Portland's greatest comic book shops, but don't just take my rambling word for it. Find out for yourself. 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. If uh, you're enjoying The Bad Batch, or really if you're enjoying kind of any of the Star Wars stuff that's coming out right now, any any of the shows, and you just like, I want more Star Wars... There are ongoing titles um, from from Marvel, and I also think co-published with IDW uh, for like a more all-ages Star Wars, even though Star Wars, you, you know what I mean. Um, a lot of great Star Wars titles out there. There's the, you know, Dr. Afro, who we will be seeing in uh, a Disney Plus show here in the near future. There is the Darth Vader series that is really exploring kind of the, the Sith lore, which is a lot of fun. And then the regular Star Wars series, there's just, what I'm saying is that there is so much more to that galaxy far, far away, and it can be found within the pages of comic books, which can be found at Bridge City Comics, 3725 North Mississippi Avenue in Portland, Oregon. And when you're there, thank them for being a sponsor of Geek in the City Radio, just like Guardian Games, our longest sponsor. So we are about to roll into another installment of Building Character, where they'll be talking about the Artificer. If that sounds like a cool class to play, then you need to get down to Guardian Games, 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon, and pick yourself up some D&D books. As soon as you walk in, you will see them just front and center. But, you know, if D&D's not your jam, that's fine. There are so many other role-playing games for you to choose from. There are even some really well-written solo adventures. Right now, you know, in, in normal times, it's hard enough to find a gaming group when you're an adult because of life and schedules and all that kind of stuff. Um, don't feel like a solo game is, you know, oh, I'm such a loser, I gotta play a solo game. No, not at all. I mean, you play solo games on your video games or, you know, whatever. This is no different. And there's some really well-written ones out there now. Guardian Games is going to have them. So check them out. 345 Southeast Taylor Street in Portland, Oregon. And thank them for being our longest sponsor of Geek in the City Radio. And then right before we get back to it, a huge shout out to Rev Nat of Reverend Nat's Hard Cider for providing us with equipment so we can continue to record this show and bring you all the funny from different areas of the city. We couldn't do it without Nat giving us some equipment and helping us stay mellow doing these still trying times. And with that, let's get back to the show. To that time when Greg and Ida come around the, they sit around the the, the hearth at the tavern and they regale us <laughs> tales of yes. building character. Excellent. Thank you so much for that, Aaron. Well, we no longer uh, have we can't use the music anymore. I so. know, I yeah. know. But I mean, uh we could if we wanted to. Yeah, I did buy a bunch of like fair use music. I should find a way to integrate it into this. Yeah. A bunch. Isn't that what yeah. your your special board with all the buttons and sliders is for? I don't know if I can make the big board work here. <laughs> Look at the big board. He's gonna I don't know. I'm not, produ- I'm not the producer <laughs> here. <laughs> One day you will need to be. Well, this Cable's week... like, nope, I'm out. Yep, Cable just Cable's did the out. podcast equivalent of not it. <laughs> <laughs> Notes goes. 
No. <laughs> I, I, already did, I already did it. I just let go before you guys did yours. It is too late for you, my bean. <laughs> like, anyway. Well, yeah. Let's yes. do it. Let's talk about artificers. This yeah. week, uh, we are we are talking about uh, the 13th uh, class artificers. So, artificers, these motley mechanics merge magic and machines at a moment's notice. They're unmatched in making mischief or magical items. Mostly misunderstood or marginalized, many artificers meddling with magic and metal is met with malignant moods from most other magicians. Maybe they're modifying armor, making an admixture, or mending their metallic mastiff, but no matter their motivation, the artificer is anything but mundane. Magnificently marked, my man. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> Can we, well done. Uh, hold on. Can we take a, a quick little pause? I put this in the chat, but I feel like we should say something really quick. So okay. we've had David Walker on this show many times. He's a friend of the show. The news just broke. Regina King is who they have picked to direct Bitter Root. Oh. That's, that's uh, cool. So this movie's fucking happening now that Regina King's attached to it. So mm-hmm. uh, congrats to our friend David. That's dope as hell. That's, that's awesome. Cool. That's, that's a really good cool. get. Yeah. Anyway, let's get. I just wanted to. I was like, oh shit. So no, that that is that is yeah. totally. Well, now we got to get him back on the show again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> uh, so artificers. artificers. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. It's no, no. That's awesome news. Don't apologize. That's great. Um, artificers were introduced in the Eberron setting, but made the jump to all settings through the book Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. They are a complex but rewarding class, straddling the lines between caster and skirmisher. Uh, in my experience, uh, we talked a little bit about this, Aaron. Uh, it's best to play them like a wizard or a sorcerer, staying out of the fray until third level when they get to specialize into a subclass. But I am getting ahead of myself. Let's begin with the basics. Yes. Got you. So their hit dice are d8s. So they're tougher than your average uh, wizards or sorcerers. Um, Also, unlike wizards or sorcerers, uh, they are proficient with armor, both light and medium, and shields, plus all simple weapons. Uh, They're also proficient with thieves' tools, tinkers' tools, and then a type of artisan tools of your choice. Um, Then they have a diverse array of skills that you can choose from. You get two choices from Arcana, History, investigation, medicine, nature, perception, and sleight of hand. Um, And then saving throws. Uh, Artificers are the first class to have intelligence and constitution proficiency combo. Interesting. Yeah, so it means that they're good at resisting poisons and diseases as well as like mental attacks. Um, And then since they're around dangerous chemicals and dubious magic, they're also like pretty sturdy. So that's pretty cool. Um, and what all of that means, character-wise, is uh, if you plan on playing an artificer, you really need to look ahead and decide what specialty you want to go into and really lean into that early. Um, so you can have you know, a pretty commendable AC right out of the gates, uh, as high as 18. Um, it is impressive. Yeah, and so you could focus on being kind of like the fighter in your party. Um, or you can pick locks and stick to the sidelines and be kind of like a rogue. 
um, or you can utilize your infusions um, and spells and sort of fill the role of like a wizard or sorcerer, you know, um, and then, but if you don't have a clear direction setting foot, like at the beginning, um, it can feel a little bit scattered and become kind of frustrating because you're only okay in these situations at first, um, and you're not really excelling in them like you would as that rogue or that wizard or that fighter. Um, so, yeah, so looking at the class features for Artificer, kind of help understand what makes it so unique. Um, Greg, you've got that stuff, yeah? Yeah, so first and foremost, um, Artificers get an ability called Magical Tinkering. It's kind of an Artificer's special form of prestidigitation. Uh, gives you kind of a good idea of how an Artificer uses their magic. Uh, you have learned to infuse a spark of magic into the mundane objects. Uh, you have to be using thieves' tools or artifice tools in hand, and you touch any non-magical tiny object as an action and imbue it with one of the following properties. The object sheds bright light up to five-foot radius and dim light to an additional five feet. The object continuously emits your choice of an odor or nonverbal sound wind, waves, chirping, etc., that can be perceived up to 10 feet away. Uh, or a static visual effect appears on one of the object's surfaces. This effect can be a picture, up to 25 words of text, lines and shapes, or a mixture of these elements as you'd like. So this effect lasts indefinitely, but there are some limitations. A single object can only bear one of these properties at a time, and the maximum number of objects you can affect is equal to your intelligence modifier. Uh, and then exceeding that maximum number causes the oldest property to immediately end. Um, but there's a trove of ways this can be used. You know, arcane graffiti, odor or sound, sound-based distractions, forging documents to bypass checkpoints like a Doctor Who psychic paper, uh, have a tiny focused pen light from a whittled twig, uh, recreate your own odor on a few ball bearings and sling them down hallways to throw off pursuers, pursuers who are tracking your scent, like copy a map, create unsettling whispers on a coin and slip it into the pocket of a guard to freak them out. <laughs> you know, it goes on. Like, but, um, you know, the, the main factor is that, like, they can do all these things, but, like, you have to you have to have those artisans tools and you have to like tinker with something mundane to make yeah. it go and that kind of plays into how the artificer casts their spells um <clears throat> so they have to like greg was saying have access to their thieves tools or their artisan tools because they're, they're tinkering away um and those become their arcane focus um and it's it's encouraged to kind of reflavor the spell descriptions to be more akin to like mixing a potion on the fly or like pulling out a gadget um you know to get the same effect so like if you as an artificer were to cast the cantrip mage hand um maybe you place a circlet on your head and using your own brain waves you are able to move a wooden articulated hand covered in arcane sigils um and like you know creepy puppet it kind of cool that's cool Uh, yeah and then uh so like a warlock you have two cantrips of your choice um 
from the artificial uh, artificers spell list. Um, but unlike the other classes, when you gain a level, you can switch out those cantrips for a different one. So if it doesn't work out so well, you can just um, swap them in. Um, let's see. Oh, and then they use intelligence as their ability score. We talked about that a little earlier. Um, so when choosing and casting spells, um, yeah, keep that in mind as far as like your int goes. Uh, and then like a cleric or a druid, an artificer can prepare different spells from the artificer's list each day. So, you know, it's a little bit of like prep work in between on your, um, during your rests. Um, the number of times an artificer can cast spells is pretty limited. Um, they only start with two first tier spell slots. Uh, and then they progress kind of the same way that a paladin does. Uh, so they top out at uh, fifth tier. Um, and then lastly, like a wizard, um, they can cast some spells as rituals if that spell is is tagged as such. So those are yeah, all things to kind of keep in mind when looking at spell things. Yeah, that's that's them at first level. So that's yeah. your that's your kit at first level, first level artificer. Already, yep. there's a lot you can do, and a lot uh, a lot of places you can go at second level. Um, they gain the ability to imbue mundane items with magical infusions, turning ordinary objects into magical ones. You gain four infusions at level two, and uh, there are some limitations. Um, if you die or uh, your magic your magical mark fades um, and the items become mundane again, after a number of days pass equal to your intelligence modifier. Um, if you switch out one infusion for another, the item loses its magical nature immediately, and no item can bear more than one infusion on it at a time. If you attempt to infuse more items than, you ha- than your level allows, just like your, um, your, your magical tinkering ability, the, um, the oldest infusion disappears as you apply the new one. Um, but you know, what are these infusions? They are, um, they, they range from creating specialized magical weapons and armor to creating wondrous items, such as like a bag of holding or a cap of water breathing. So you can just make that, you don't have to like look for one in a, in a dungeon or in a magic shop. You can create these magical items, these wondrous items. Um, now how they work is mechanically the same, but again, what they look like is completely up to you. Like how they look and act in the world is, is unique to you as the artificer, like uh, that cap of water breathing. Maybe it's not an actual cap. Maybe, uh, maybe it's like a, like a, um, a little, little rebreather thing that you bite down on a little rod, kind of like in, uh, uh, in star Wars or some other, you know, maybe it's a gum that you chew and you grow gills, like whatever it's, up to you as as the artificer. Um, so as you level up, you create more magnificent items, and you can even infuse the spark of life into a special tiny construct called a homunculus. Uh, all artificers gain the ability, the right tool for the job at third level, which allows you to magically create one set of artisan tools as part of an hour of in- uninterrupted work. Though they're made with magic, these tools are non-magical, and if you use the feature again, the tools you've created before will vanish. Also, at level three, um, that's when you get your specialist feature. 
Yay. Um, yes. So the, the choices available are alchemist, armorer, artillerist, and battlesmith. Um, each so, specialist. So metal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so each of them gives the player kind of unique spells that are always prepared for them, um, as well as the special abilities. Uh, before diving into each option, though, I want to point out a few pretty cool abilities that all artificers gain, regardless of their specialty, um, as they level up. So on top of the specialties, uh, at level seven, you get a flash of genius, which allows you to use your reaction to add your intelligence modifier to the roll when someone else is making an ability check or saving throw within 30 feet of you. So you have a limited number of times you can use this feature, but uh, it just shows how an artificer is always paying attention and is just designed to help the party and just always boosting. Um, level 11, uh, spell storing item. Uh, I kind of love this. Uh, you can house a low level spell in a simple or martial weapon or in one item uh, and you can use it as like a spell casting focus. So any creature holding that item can take an action and produce that spell. Hmm. Um, and then that spell can be used a number of times per day equal to twice your intelligence modifier. So that goes back to having your modifier really, you know, having a good one means you can basically shoot out low level spells out of whatever doodad you want <laughs> for a pretty good <laughs> amount of time, which is really cool. And it's cool because um, it's not just you, it's yeah. any party member, so... Yeah, anybody could pick up your, you know, wand, which is really just a stick that will shoot out, you know, some little some little fufra. Um, and then, like, periodically, as you reach higher levels, um, the amount of magic items that you can attune to increases um, past the usual maximum of three. Um, and eventually... You just ignore the requirements for anything that are based on class, race, spells, or level, which is pretty neat. So, like, you just ignore that. That's fine. Forget about it. <laughs> Do whatever you want. Nice. Do whatever yeah. you want. Yeah, it's, it's just your you're, reality. You're, getting... you're building it. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, okay. Now on to the specialties. Okay. Yeah. First one is alchemist. <laughs> This subclass leans more towards defensive capabilities and buffing your party with your curious potions and mystical reagents. Uh, the spells you gain are Healing Word and Ray of Sickness at third level. Fifth level opens up Flaming Spear and Melf's Acid Arrow. Ninth gives you Gaseous Form and Mass Healing Word. And thirteenth gives you Blight and Death Ward. And then 17th level, you gain Cloud Kill and Raise Dead. Uh, it's a mixed bag of healing and damage dealing with a focus on acid damage, poisons, gases, and other spells that could come from a caustic reaction of mixing chemicals. Um, you also gain proficiency with Alchemist Supplies. If you've already got proficiency with them, then you gain proficiency with another type of artisan's tools. Um, you learn the experimental elixir ability at third level uh, with this subclass. Uh, after completing a long rest, you produce an elixir in an empty flask that you touch. Rolling a d6, you create a random elixir. Uh, there's a table that you that you uh, you know roll off of. 
Um, you can also, though, choose to create additional experimental elixirs by expending one of your Savelle slots, which allows you to use your action to create an elixir in an empty vial. But instead of rolling randomly, you can choose the effect that you want. Uh, the elixir's effects range from healing to increasing AC to aiding in combat to flight, limited flight, to mimicking the alter self spell. Um, although that uh, only lasts 10 minutes instead of an hour like the actual alter self spell. Um, at fifth level, you if you're using alchemist supplies as a spell casting focus of your uh, um, whenever you cast a spell that restores hit points or deals acid, fire, necrotic, or poison damage, you get to add your intelligence modifier to the roll. At ninth level, you can fortify your experimental elixirs, granting the drinkers temporary hit points. Additionally, you can cast lesser restoration, lesser restoration, uh, without expending a spell slot or preparing the spell provided you're using your alchemical supplies as a, as a focus. And you can do that a number of times a day equal to your intelligence modifier. Um, being able to cast a spell without using a spell slot and without have to having it prepared is pretty awesome. And so uh, finally at 15th level, kind of the capstone for this subclass, you achieve an ability called chemical mastery. As your exposure to so many chemicals has hardened you to their negative effects, you gain resistance to acid and poison damage, and you're immune to the poison condition. And you can cast greater restoration and heal uh, without expending a spell slot, without preparing the spell, and without material components, provided you are using your alchemist supplies as the focus. Once you cast either spell this way, you can't cast... The, that spell uh, with this ability again until you finish a long rest. But that's that's the alchemist. Pretty zesty. Yeah. Um, next up. <clears throat> the next up is the armorer artificer. Um, so as an armor specialist artificer, you craft special armor uh, that's enhanced to hone your magic, unleash potent attacks, and generate pretty formidable defense. So at third level, you become proficient in heavy armor and gain proficiency with Smith's tools if you haven't already done so in order to create your signature armor. Um, An armor artificer gains magic missile and thunder wave at third level. Uh, Then mirror image and shatter at fifth. Fucking thunder wave. Yeah, and Wave. We have someone who has played a bard in multiple games, and his favorite spell is Thunder Wave. <laughs> Not just Truth any story. Thunder Wave, but as if the bard was Ace Freely playing Thunder Wave. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I'm well accustomed to Thunder Wave. <laughs> um, well, to cast th- it, you have to scream Thunder Wave. Yeah. Yes. So that's that's ah, part duh. of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Fifth level is uh, mirror image and shatter. And then ninth level is hypnotic pattern and lightning bolt. Um, And then fire shield and greater invisibility at 13th. And then pass wall and wall of force at 17th. Um, As you can tell, armor spells are focused on high offense and defense. They don't fuck around. Um, And then 
onto the armor itself, your arcane armor, um, like, it's fancy. You've crafted a remarkable suit of armor that is a conduit for your magic. And as an action, you can turn a suit of armor that you're wearing into your arcane armor, so long as you have smith tools in hand. Cue the magical transformation music. Transformation sequence! Yes! Exactly. (laughs) So you gain the following benefits. Um, If the armor normally has a strength requirement, not for you. You don't need to deal with that. Um, You can use the armor as a spellcasting focus for your artificer spells. Um, The armor attaches to you and can't be removed against your will. It also expands to cover your entire body, although you can retract or deploy a helmet as a bonus action. That's kind of cool. So like Iron Man. Exactly. Yeah. Um, Armor, this is my favorite one. It actually will replace any missing limbs, functioning identically to the limb it replaces. Uh, And then, you know, you can doffer don the armor as an action, easy peasy in out, uh, very much like uh, Iron Man. Um, also at third level, you can customize that armor, choosing one of two options, guardian or infiltrator. Uh, so each of the models, um, includes special benefits as well as unique weapons. Um, so when you attack, uh, with, with that, the weapons that you can get from there, um, you add your intelligence modifier instead of strength or dexterity. So again, going back to that really nice intelligence modifier, definitely keep that. Um, Let's see. Oh, and then you can switch between those two modes when you uh, finish a short or long rest, provided that you have your Smith tools in hand. So it's not like a major commitment either. Um, So the two. Um, Guardian mode is intended to place you in the front lines. Um, right in the middle of the fight. You are in the fray. It comes with thunder gauntlets and a defensive field. Um, yeah. yeah. Thunder gauntlets are considered simple melee weapons when you aren't holding anything in them. It deals 1d8 thunder damage on a hit, and a creature hit has disadvantage on attack rolls against targets other than you until the start of your next turn. Um, as the armor magically emits a distracting pulse when the car- when the creature attacks someone else. Uh, and then your defensive mm-hmm. field, um, as a bonus action, you receive temporary hit points equal to your level in this class. So you can use this bonus a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus and regain all expended uses after a long rest. It is all about being that tank, being front and center, and drawing fire away from your squishier allies. Our, our listener Norm just said this class is so metal it could be a Molly Hatchet cover. <laughs> <laughs> you damn right Norm. Now, <laughs> the infiltrator armor, so the other mode, um, comes equipped with lightning launcher, power steps, and a dampening field. So, the lightning launcher, uh, a gem-like node appears on one armored fist, or on your chest, your choice, make it snazzy, um, and counts as a simple ranged weapon with a range of 90 feet um, and a long range of 300. Uh, it deals 1d6 lightning damage on a hit, and w- once, 
let's see, once on each of your turns, when you hit a creature with it, you can deal an extra 1d6 lightning damage to that target. Pa-pow. Um, powered step is, is nifty. Uh, it'll just increase your walking speed uh, five feet, so that'll get you going where you need to go a little faster. Um, I like the dampening field for this one. Uh, so it gives you an advantage on stealth checks. Which if you are wearing heavy armor, you need that. Um, if an ar- if like if that armor would normally impose a disadvantage on such checks, the advantage and disadvantage cancel each other out. So you know you at least get fair shakes at rolling to to sneak yeah. in your in your mega armor. I mean, so the infiltrator's a little bit more slip in, book them up, dive out of the way, pew pew pew. <clears throat> Um, so those are the two modes of, of the armor. At fifth level, you get an extra attack. Just pow, pow. Two of them. Wow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just whammo. Nice. Um, fifth ninth, level? At, at fifth level. That's not even that far. No, yeah. not really. <laughs> at ninth Jeez. level. I know. I really want to play one of these so badly. Same. <laughs> so at ninth level, you get armor modifications so it allows you to count your armor as uh separate items for the purposes of your infusions oh shit yeah so um the armor becomes chest piece boots helmet um and then the special weapon um each of these items can bear one of your infusions and the infusions transfer if you change the armor's model so you know, it doesn't matter. You still don't have to commit completely to Infiltrator or Guardian. Um, let's see, what else? Oh, the maximum number of items that you can infuse at once increases by two. Uh, but those two items must be part of your arcane armor. Uh, so that just gives you even fancier armor. And you're just mm. made of, you're just made of weaponry. <laughs> um, level 15, you have perfected armor (laughs) the guardian model gains an ability that whenever a huge or smaller so huge size or below um creature that you can see ends its turn within 30 feet of you you can use your reaction to magically force that creature to make a strength saving throw versus your spell spell save dc and pull that creature up to 30 feet towards you to an unoccupied space it is get over here. Ah. Um, so you can use, um, see, uh, yeah, so you bring the target in, um, and then you can make a melee weapon attack against it as part of that reaction. So it's huh. come here and let me slap you. Um, you can do this a number of times a day equal to your proficiency bonus, which at that point at level 15 is a five. With the infiltrator, uh, any creature that takes lightning damage from your lightning launcher glimmers with magical light until the start of your next turn. <laughs> and that glimmering creature sheds a dim light in a five-foot radius, and it has disadvantage on attack rolls against you as the light jolts it um, if it attacks you. So zap, zap. Um, in addition, the next attack roll against it has advantage, and if that attack hits, the target takes an extra 2d6 lightning damage. This whole build gives me like magical girl mecha kaiju vibes, and I'm super here for it. It's a fun <laughs> one. 
And uh, I am loving everything about this. <laughs> yeah, this was. It's this, like the 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 one little the one girl in uh, Into the Spider Verse. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Uh, and this was this was the one that was uh, introduced in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Uh, this this one wasn't in the Eberron Guide. Yeah, I have a big old crush on that one. Yeah. Gonna have to play it. <laughs> well, we got to move on to the next one. Okay. There's two yeah. more. Yeah. And then, uh, so, <laughs> moving right along is the artillerist. Um, the artillerist. This is this is my personal favorite one. I have a I have a character that I made that's a, a hobgoblin artillerist uh, named uh, Ergoth Igouge um, that okay. I have I never get to play with, but he, he I have a I have a soft spot in my heart for him. I'll run a game for you, story. Greg, with Ergoth oh, the Igouge. I'll run it. <laughs> Bless you. Yeah, what so, could possibly go wrong? Specializing in using magic to hurl energy projectiles and explosions onto the battlefield, the artillerist enters the arena with some serious firepower. The tool proficiency artillerist scheme at third level is woodcarver's tools, if you don't already have them. Uh, the spells available to an artillerist are also mixing offensive and defensive magics. At third level, you get shield and thunderwave! Uh, at fifth, blam, 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 blam. You get, <laughs> at fifth level, yeah. <laughs> at fifth level, you get uh, scorching ray and shatter. Uh, ninth level gives you fireball and wind wall. Thirteenth level offers ice storm and fire wall of fire. And seventeenth level gives you cone of cold and wall of force. The major feature at third level is the artillerist eldritch cannon. This magical cannon is created either using either woodcarver's tools or smith's tools, your choice. And uh, you create a cannon that you can choose to be either small or tiny that appears on a horizontal surface within five feet of you. A small eldritch cannon occupies the space. Uh, a tiny one can be held in one hand. Uh, once a cannon is made, you can't make another until after you complete a long rest or if you expend a spell slot to create one. You can only have one cannon at a time, and you can't create another one while your cannon is present. Um, your cannon is a magical object, and regardless of its size, it has an AC of 18 and a number of hit points equal to five times your artificer level. It's immune to poison and psychic damage, and if forced to make an ability check or saving throw, you treat uh, all scores as 10, giving no bonuses, positive or negative. Um, if the Mending spell is cast on your Eldritch Cannon, then uh, it regains 2d6 hit points. Uh, but do remember that Mending takes 10 minutes to cast, so you're going to be doing this outside of combat. Um it disappears if it drops to zero or after one hour has lapsed. So you get to determine what your cannon looks like and whether or not it has legs. This is important because uh, you determine the type, which we'll talk about in the moment. Uh, but on each of your turns, you can take a bonus action to cause the cannon to activate if you're within 60 feet of it. As a part of the same bonus action, you can direct the cannon to walk or climb up to 15 feet uh, to an unoccupied space, 
provided it has legs. Uh, the types of cannons uh, are flamethrower, force ballista, or protector. Uh, flamethrowers exhale fire and an adjacent 15-foot cone. All creatures in that area have to make a dexterity saving throw uh, against your spell save DC. A failure means they take 2d8 fire damage, or half that on a success. The fire also ignites any flammable objects in the area that aren't being worn or carried. Um, the Force Ballista creates a ranged spell attack at one creature or object within 120 feet of it. On a hit, it takes 2d8 force damage, and if, the, and if it's a creature that hits, that creature is pushed up to 5 feet away from the cannon. So it packs a wall. Uh, and finally, the protector type. Uh, the cannon emits a burst of positive energy that grants itself and each creature of your choice within 10 feet of it a number of temporary hit points equal to 1d8 plus your intelligence modifier. So just like a like a healing, like a mobile healing station, magical healing station. Um, I choose to believe that's a confetti cannon. It might be. It might be depending on what what your magic looks like, it absolutely is just a <laughs> confetti cannon. Mm-hmm. At fifth level, you gain Arcane Firearm, which allows you to carve special sigils into a, wo- a wand, a staff, or a rod over the course of a long rest. When you do, uh, you use this rune-covered firearm as a spell-casting focus for your artificer spells, you can roll a d8 and add the number rolled to the total damage the spell deals. So if you cast any spells using this special firearm, it does an extra d8 of damage. Uh, Ninth level makes your cannon more destructive. All damage rolls increase by a d8. And as an action, you can command the uh, the cannon to detonate while you're within 60 feet of it. Doing so destroys the cannon and forces each creature within 20 feet of it to make a dexterity saving throw. Failure results in the creature taking 3d8 force damage and half as much on a success. And finally, at level 15, your specialization caps out with fortified position, where you and your allies have half cover within 10 feet of the cannon, as a result of a shimming, shimmering field of magical protection the cannon emits. Also, you can have two cannons out at the same time, creating them with the same action, but not with the same spell slot. You can activate both of them with the same bonus action, and the cannons can be identical or different types. So you could, awesome. be, you could be the D&D version of Doc Holiday and say, I've got two cannons, one for each of you. Yep. Exactly. Nice, nice. <laughs> That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, and then the last one uh, is the battlesmith. Um, it's something like a combat medic mixed with a mechanic. Um, the battlesmith gains proficiency with smith tools, much like the armor. If you don't already have them, you get them here. Um, the spells that they gain as part of the specialization are. Heroism and Shield at level uh, 3. Branding, Smite, and Warding Bond at level 5. Aura of Vitality and Conjure Barrage at ninth, And then Aura of Purity and Fire Shield at 15th. 
And then lastly, uh, Banishing Smite and Mass Cure Wounds at 17th. I'm sorry, did you start with Branding Smite, as in that's one thing? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a paladin spell. It Please is. tell me it's like bitch slapping someone, but it also marks yeah. them. Basically. <laughs> Battlesmith feeling like Denise maybe is like, well, I need this ability. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here you are at third level. You've chosen the Battlesmith. You get your battle ready ability, uh, gaining proficiency with martial bonuses or martial weapons, sorry, and then letting you use your intelligence modifier instead of your strength or dexterity when you attack uh, with a magic weapon. Cool, cool. Um, third level also introduces your steel defender. Um, it's a construct. Uh, it's, it's a little companion buddy for you that's friendly to you and your crew and obeys your commands. You can choose if it's bipedal or quadrupedal, uh, and it shares your initiative in combat uh, and acts immediately after you. Um, it moves and uses reactions on its own. Uh, but will only take the dodge action unless you use your bonus action to issue a command to take a different action. Um, so it's not like adding another, you know, super fighty character. It's kind of like just boosting your own stuff. Um, the mending spell will heal the defender. Uh, and if the defender has died within the last hour, uh, you can use your smith's tools to revive it by expending a spell slot. Um, it can repair itself as an action, deflect an attack as a reaction, uh, and has a force-empowered rend attack that you can use. So that's pretty nifty. And then at fifth that level, you gain a second attack, <laughs> um, which I just love that. Simple, easy, get another one, do it again. Um, at ninth, you gain arcane jolt. Uh, which is when you hit a target with a magic weapon or with your steel defender, um, you can channel magical energy through the strike to either cause the target to take an extra 2d6 force damage or choose one creature or object you can see within 30 feet of that target um, and healing energy flows into the chosen recipient, restoring 2d6 hit points. Uh, so you may do this a number of times equal to your int mod and you can't do it more than once per turn. So you're either smashing somebody or healing somebody with kind of the same vibe. Um, and then uh, at 15th level, you get improved defender. Um, and the extra damage from your arcane jolt increases to 4d6. Um, the steel defender gains a plus two bonus to AC. And whenever the steel defender uses its deflect attack, the attacker takes force damage equal to 1d4 plus your int mod. Basically, I am rubber, you are glue. Whatever you hit me with will also skibbity-pop you. Skibbity-pop. Skibbity-pop. So, yeah, that's that's the Battlesmith. It's all about, like, having your little buddy, and you can fuck people up, but also, like, slap a bandage on it, and be like, you're going to be okay, champ. Yeah, it's a real neat... And like, like, the cool thing with the Artificer class is, like, Depending on the specialty that you choose, you get to dip into paladin spells, you get to dip into ranger spells, you get to dip into uh, warlock or uh, wizard spells. It's it's a real mixed bag. You could have a team of four artificers and each one would feel super different, which would be pretty cool. It actually sounds kind of cool. Right? 
but uh, let's let's talk about characters because this is yeah. building character, um, and talk about what what sort of pop culture artificers you could you could build a um, now that you know how how they look and what they do, like mm. what's a what's a character in pop culture that you could maybe emulate? Uh, Q, James Bond Q. James mm. Bond Q, ah. yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Nice. Mm. Excellent. I mean, you really, like... any any of those like tech sidekicks to the insert hero character, yeah. you know? Yeah, I feel like that would be like the artillerist. Um, Maybe. the artillerist. I actually have an idea. It's a little yeah. out there. Um, Ash from Evil Dead. Oh yeah, eventually ah. becomes yeah. Because in Army of Darkness, he literally builds a war wagon and introduces them to gunpowder and weapons and the chains and the the mnemonic hand. Yeah, that's oh, built yeah. on like the Nerf cannon. You know, yeah. Ash is that's just weird to say. Ash is a very intelligent player class. Yes, yeah. actually, that is true. Ash, is. if you look at the movies, he's very smart but is not wise. Yeah, mm-hmm. high, you're impossible to kill. Yeah, so he's got high intelligence and high con. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, I love it. What did you Holt- say, B? Holtzman. Oh, from the, from the new Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Yes. Our, yes. Yeah. Holtzman yeah. or Egon from the original. Mm-hmm. Both True. of them. Mm-hmm. Sure. Sure. But I like Holtzman more. I agree. Egon. <laughs> One of my favorite bits. Uh, man, who else? Um, um, if if you're a fan of uh, the um, Borderlands video game, Roland is uh, totally an artillerist. Like it's 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 unlikely he he created it, uh, but he has he has a um, a turret that he throws down, and and it like can buff. Yeah. Uh, it can buff people. It can block damage. It's uh, this is essentially the Gunzerker class, isn't it? No, the guns. Uh, the Gunzerker class was the one oh. that, that that you could use multiple guns. Uh, he was uh, right. the commando or the soldier class. Yeah, I'd say uh, from mythology, I would suggest uh, Hephaestus, the blacksmith of the Greek gods. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There you go. Uh, I I thought um, as far as artillerist uh, Entrapta from Shira. Mm-hmm. Ah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thought of her right away. Um, let's see what are what what about alchemists? What do we got for alchemists? I saw I have a the- list that that uh, puts uh, Snape, Severus Snape, as their alchemist, but I think that's a little on the nose, or maybe a little too niche for the character. Yeah, I mean, doable, but. We never really saw Snape do much fighting, did we? <laughs> I, I I would suggest, and this is Not a weird, me. this is True. a weird thing. Um, Professor Wickwire from Briscoe County Junior. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. uh, yeah, played by uh, John Aston, Sean Aston's dad, uh, Gomez Adams. He was the eccentric <laughs> scientist that built them weapons and po- and like tonics that'll keep you going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I actually could say that almost every character, apart from Briscoe County and maybe Lord Bowler, 
they all kind of fit into the artificer in one way or another because that show was just knee deep in weird western pseudoscience that involved things blowing up and mixing chemicals and building stuff steampunk before there was steampunk yeah and also um not the main character but the um the tech person in wild wild west both the movie and the show Artemis. yeah thank you cable yeah yeah you're welcome i was having the same thought so yeah Yeah. (laughs) um i was thinking you know hank pym Bit, bit of an alchemist. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Walter White from Breaking Bad. I would say that you could build a an artificer alchemist um, off of him. Oh man, that's a. And he that, definitely that, used that, his chemical a, knowledge as a weapon. That, so. That's a Ravenloft build alchemist. Damn, I want that, <laughs> I want someone to do that. Walter White yeah. in Ravenloft. Um, on a lighter end, <laughs> I think that I could uh, see building. Um, an artificer alchemist off of Alton Brown. Oh yeah, Ooh, yeah, nice. I like that. Yeah, um, from the comics world, old school, uh, old school DC fans will know this. One of the OG uh, Hour Man. Mm. Yeah. He, he would take a pill that would give him all these powers, but only for one hour. For only one hour. Yeah, yeah, hour. yeah. that's a great. Yeah. One. Uh, on uh, that route is Tony Stark, an alchemist. Well, you know, or an, or an artificer. I would, I would guess armor. Yeah. yeah, we talked about his. We talked about, uh, you know, the we flat out mentioned. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I would say armor. Yeah. Now, before we did, we did use Tony Stark uh, when we talked about uh, the wizards way, way back. Uh, right. Because mm. at that point, there was no uh, artificer option available in fifth edition yeah. but now that there is i would say that yeah tony stark would be an easy transferable <laughs> yeah. persona yeah. to put on an artificer <laughs> wait have i would also say build- literally any power ranger yeah yes. yeah yeah also, have we been doing building characters so long that the artificer wasn't D 5e canon until now yes yeah yeah we have <laughs> uh, yeah. we skipped a few months we did, yeah. yeah. Everyone, yeah, that's true. Um, let's see. I here, some other. Uh, I I would say another armor, um, uh, armor artificer would be uh, Green Goblin. You know, uh, mm-hmm. Osborne's a bit of a scientist himself. Yeah. So, um, this one's also super it, super on the nose because it's in the title. But uh, the younger brother in Full Metal Alchemist, Alphonse, yeah. he is. Fully a suit of metal, but like, held together by alchemy and his soul. That's true. I would yeah. say both brothers are would would count as armorers, but I haven't seen much of it, so oh, maybe man. I'm wrong. It's no, one of my all time favorite. Like I haven't dark. watched it at all either. It's either, dark. So I don't okay. know if you'd like it. It's, it's like good. Re- it it's gets good, real sad. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like dark stuff. Um, I'm not always big on the pacing of anime stories. I have, For sure. uh, I get fussy. And um, sometimes they like take a yeah. while to get to like the meaty stuff. Yeah. I mean, some things are very fast paced, like furikuri, mm-hmm. or some things Which are paced. I lo- <clears throat> enjoy furikuri. Right. So, or the, yeah. the pacing is Dragon Ball Z. Those are the two <laughs> extremes, mm-hmm. I oh think. Yeah. 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 Um, it's like, why is this fight add... lasting 12 episodes? <laughs> yeah. Because no one's add, fighting. Um... <laughs> 
Let's, uh, I would uh, add another uh, potential artificer is the character of Beeman from the Constantine movie by Max Becker. The guy who made all of Constantine's, like, oh, he built the shotgun yeah. that had dragon breath in it. He's the yeah. guy that built all of his weapons. Which, 100%, yeah. Okay, what about Total Battle side Smiths? note, that Constantine movie is so underrated. It's actually it legit is. good. Mm-hmm. It's legit yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I agree. The Keanu one? Yeah, yes. it's it's good. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway. What about Battlesmiths? Man. Crickets, crickets. That actually might be more akin to Hephaestus from Greek mythology. Oh, could be. Yeah. 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 Because they because Hephaestus just made weapons. Well the Battlesmith was... the, the key the key with the Battlesmith is you have this uh, you have a body. Yeah, the, the the steel defender, a a uh, metal animal quadruped or biped that can provide some healing and defense, but also attack. So I, I have a you, I have a concept. Mega Man, a silly answer to that question. Sure. What do you what what, what do you got, Bean? All right. So is Mega Man a silly answer? Okay, I have a thought about that. Okay. <laughs> and I and I have a and I have a follow up character, but go ahead. Because you okay. said artillery, you said artillerist, right? Uh, no, I, we're talking about So, because we talked about oh. Mega Man, and I argued that Doctor Light would be the Battlesmith since he technically made Mega Man. Mm. See, but Mega Man has a mind of his own, and he's not just like he's not a companion that follows Doctor Light's. Uh, you know, whim. So Dr. Uh, Light's really good at it. <laughs> so <laughs> I have two characters from pop culture. Okay. The first one would be Baxter Stockman from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles because okay. he built the Mausers. Oh. Yeah. My yeah. other one that I'm actually more proud of is Soundwave from Transformers. You never really see Soundwave fight. He just hits a thing, goes rumble, ravage, savage, attack, and he sends his minions out and they attack for yeah. him. Nice. That would totally be a bad yes. Yeah. 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 Nice. yeah. Um, um, fans of Overwatch, May. May would be mm-hmm. a battlesmith. She's got the little doodad. Yeah. Her little, her little, her little, uh, yeah. Buddy, um, buddy that helps cryo. Um, yeah. What about? <laughs> mm, no, never mind. So, doesn't work. I would also. I, I don't know where he'd fit in, but I think Donatello from you know you mentioned Baxter, Baxter Stockman. They're very Donatello similar. They're very similar. Be, uh, an artificer, maybe you could. I would. I would argue that because. Uh, because Donatello managed to reprogram Metalhead, that he could be considered a battlesmith. Yeah. All right. I'd buy that. But uh, Jimmy Neutron's a battlesmith. Nice. Jimmy Neutron is totally a battlesmith. He's got mm-hmm. he's got a little dog friend. <laughs> yeah. Goddard, I think his name was. Yeah. Oh shit! What's his name from uh, Battle Angel Alita? The dad. Uh, Ido? Yeah. Basically, yeah. Yeah, Ido would be, uh, let's see here, maybe 
Maybe I uh, think all of the Power Rangers would be more of a battlesmith because they control the Zords. Um, you could you could make that argument. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> Zords. I I don't didn't think about Zords. Yeah, I, I don't see Zords. <laughs> Motherfucker always forgot about Zords. I'm trying to think Zords, of Zords. Zords don't operate <laughs> independently of of the the Power Rangers, but you know what does? Um, um, the uh, oh, uh, uh, Voltron, the Voltron Lions do, I believe. So maybe uh, the the team from Voltron would be Battlesmiths. I thought. The, the Voltron pellets still had to be in <clears throat> the individual lions. To yeah, form they Voltron. do. Well, they have they have to do that to form Voltron, but I believe they've commanded the lions outside of them. I may be I may be mistaken. Uh, but I mean, they can like command the lions to come to them so they can get in. Well, which I mean, is the same that, thing that the Rangers do. With Power Rangers, <clears throat> right? Yeah. yeah. Um. So battle. Like, I'm being very like specific here, but so the battlesmith has the the steel defender, yeah, uh, mm-hmm. ability. And so there's a character in Karen Gillan's Die. Uh, mm. The I believe uh, she calls herself like some sort of like a neo punk or something like that. But she has a meta- like a, a robot dog companion. Yeah, uh, that she can kind of like she like bonds with, but also like has control over. And so that. Ooh. That gave me some battles with Oh, totally. Yeah. There's actually, uh, you know, you, you mentioned uh, Battle Angel Alita earlier. Um, there is a kind of secondary character uh, that shows up in the Kansas bar. Uh, he's, a, he's a bounty hunter as well. And he's this old dude with like a big old mustache. And, and he has three metal dogs uh, that... Uh, as part of his, his his pack, I always thought he was really cool character, really awesome design. He's was, definitely a battlesmith. Yeah. That was Jeff yeah. Fahey, if I remember right. Hmm. In the, uh, the in the movie movie, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that was a fun movie. You know who else is a horrible uh, uh, battle master? Um, Albert yeah. Wesker from Resident Evil. That's time. Couple right, other, yeah. uh, uh, real quick. Um, I think Syndrome from The Incredibles would be mm. uh, fall under the artillerist. Uh, when everyone super, no one super, no one is. Yeah, uh, Inspector Gadget would also fall under there, and we also mm. had a couple. Uh, yeah, yeah, Inspector. I see you looking, Cable. Inspector Gadget. Uh, I feel like actually the- made. His own stuff. They, they don't really go into. That. I don't think he made it himself. I feel like Inspector Gadget, and we might talk about this next week. Actually, mm-hmm. I feel like Inspector Gadget is a reborn construct. A construct. Mm-hmm. I feel like there's a very dark history to Inspector Gadget, where he died violently, a la Murphy from RoboCop, mm-hmm. and they re and they rebuilt him as like this weird robot and didn't tell him what happened to him. And so that's he doesn't. Why they- Follow. That's why they have to keep Penny around because he needs that uh, that connection or he needs humanity. Yeah, yeah. To, like keep. Oh my god! Now I want to do this really dark fucking reboot of Inspector Gadget, <laughs> which means Penny knows what happened. Oh, Penny, Penny knows does. because oh Penny, yeah, because Penny was, Penny. Penny was there. 
Yeah. He was definitely oh. You know what? You know what? Here, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Maybe, maybe uh, Brain is so smart because they they packed Inspector Gadget with so many gears and, and, and gizmos that they had to put his brain somewhere. They put it in the dog. So he doesn't have a brain? <laughs> So that's, that's why, why brain has idiot. to be close by. Yeah, that's why he's uh-huh. an idiot. But the and that's why brain actually like understands Penny and is is actually like an investigator and a detective with her because does that mean gotten, that Inspector Gadget has the dog brain? Yep. Yep. That's hey, what that he, I I would also uh, add this. I I don't believe that uh, Penny is actually. Gadget's niece. I don't think she's related to him at, at all. And hmm. once she hits a certain age, they just hire a different penny and a reboot penny. Gadget's system. Oh, oh my heart. Oh, there no. you go. Oh, my God. All right. So, on a slightly lighter note, <laughs> we, had a, we had just a couple characters that fit kind of a general artificer, but not a specific that we'd like to share before we wrap up tonight. Um, yes. Do you want to, do you want to share those? Yeah. Um, so pardon me, that cider's coming back. <clears throat> so uh, Pee Wee Herman, I think <laughs> you could build an artificer of basically any specialty off of Pee Wee Herman. It would be absolute I chaos. I totally see that. Totally do it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, Wallace and Gromit, either one of them, <laughs> both of them. I feel like that would actually be a darker version too. They have a darkness yeah. to them. They do. There's a child. Um, there's a childlike glee to Pee Wee, but not Wallace and Gromit because <laughs> they're English, basically. Um, and then Gadget from Rescue Rangers. She could be slotted into any of those, and it would be so fun, so cute, and really effective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also appreciate through the span of building characters how many times we have gone back and referenced that '90s Disney afternoon with Darkwing Duck, Ducktales, Rescue Rangers, Tailspin. Like, I feel like every character we have found a role in D and D in one form or another. Yeah. It just means that because we love them, they raised us. <laughs> it also means that we need to hook up with Disney and Wizards of the Coast and create the Disney afternoon source book (laughs) where we just, we just merge them all into one separate plane of existence. The duck verse. Yes. We attribute PC (laughs) classes to all of them. You guys think I'm joking. This is actually a solid idea, by the way. No, no, I, I, I I like this idea enough that I hope you mute it out of the recorded show because I don't want anyone to steal this idea from you. No, it's okay. I I think it's uh, it's even more plausible now when you have things that are mashed up out of the Disney universe, like oh, I don't know, the Muppets doing haunted (laughs) Yeah, don't bring that up. I'll just giggle. I'm sorry. What you didn't know about this bean? The Muppets are doing the haunted mansion. Yeah, Yeah. coming out in fall. The Muppets haunted mansion. Yeah. Oh, oh, I okay. We got to stop. I. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> they're they're adapting the the Eddie Murphy movie. You shut, shut your whore mouth. <laughs> <words>. <laughs> 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 
You know what? You know what, Greg? Mute. Oh, <laughs> well, you know the sad part is we can't hear how hard he's cackling right now. That doesn't matter. You know who can see it is the people who watch us live. I hit the ass to unmute. It's on him now. He knows that. Says <laughs> 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 so I'm literally wearing a haunted mansion shirt. With Haunted Mansion stuff all around. No, I lost my mind when I saw that initial. Yeah. I, I also, saw I that always... news and thought of you. And you didn't share it because you knew, like, Aaron knows already. I already knew that you knew. Yeah. No, no. Yeah, I found out from you, so. Yeah. <laughs> also, if, I love that, that. I saw it, you saw it 10 minutes earlier. Yeah. I also love that that shrimp, I always forget his name because it's not Pepe. It's not Pepe? I don't think so. Is it Pepe? The shrimp? It is Pepe. Is it, it is Pepe? Pepe? I don't know why they started doing this because Pepe didn't always dress this way. He's a king prawn, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. It's still a shrimp. Um, his outfit. His outfit is the same as one of the first Rock the Rocks promo images. It's the same turtleneck and gold chain. It's the same yeah. outfit. Oh my god! He's dressed you like will never be able to unsee that now. You've never seen that before. No, I don't know a lot of early The Rock stuff. Oh, was just been... some wrestler dude. No, oh my no, god, been... I used to have a roommate who was obsessed. Posters, posters in our hallway. But I I have, I do, now that you've pointed it out, I do I do, it's I, like, I've that... seen it. <laughs> yeah. Do you think that Pepe is wearing <laughs> those little acid wash like uh, yes. Jeans? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, 100%. 100%. Well, are we talking about this? Well, yeah, that's exactly that's, what that's exactly it. But like, what is shrimp except lobster but tiny? No, but that's <laughs> but the rock, one of his earliest photos, dressed exactly like that. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Uh, uh, really quick, speaking of pro wrestling characters, fucking Dave Bautista cast in Knives Out 2. Mm-hmm. I saw that. Yeah. That's oh, going to be awesome. Just you know what? Him. Like, as much as I love the rock, and I do unconditionally. Um, I think Dave Bautista has had a better career and is a better actor. Mm-hmm. Well, I just I just went back and watched a lot of like other a lot of people only know Dave Bautista from like, you know, whatever action movies and Guardians of the Galaxy. But, but like I also feel like but, the rock crawled so that Dave Bautista could fly. It's true. Yeah. And and the rock has like a shtick. Yeah. I feel like Dave Bautista actually wants to do different things. Cause like, like a few weeks ago, I watched Hotel Artemis and I forgot he's fucking great in that. Uh, the late, the last Blade Runner movie, he's great and heartbreaking in that. He's in Blade Runner 20, what is it, 2049? He's in it. He doesn't have a big part, but he's wonderful in it. Huh. Uh, he's his character in Hotel Artemis is fantastic. And by the way, Hotel Artemis is fantastic. People should watch that movie. He's um, he is the reason that I do want to watch Stuber. Oh, it's hilarious! Mm-hmm. It's great. Um, I'm super excited to see him in um, what is it, Army of the Dead? Yeah, yeah. We, we should talk about that next week on the show. Actually, yes. it's dropping uh, pretty soon. So. Real quick, so many I know we're Wait, wait. I know we're technically done talking about artificers, but uh, some last minute entries here. Uh, data oh. from Goonies. 
and Rick Moranis and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids for two oh, awesome yeah. artists. Yes. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> Nicely done, Bex. Well Gold done, star. Bex. Oh, man. Bex is the best. Ah, Norm. Inspector Gadget, directed by Zack Snyder. That's... Expect- oh, Inspe- <laughs> Inspector V Gadget. Inspector V Gadget. Yeah. Well, that just means the MacGuffin is Martha. <laughs> oh, God. God. That's when we find out that Brain's real name is Martha. And on that uh, note, I'm Aaron Duran. I'm Bina And I'm Cable Hashitani. And our guests have been... Greg. Anita. We will talk to everybody next week.